What's up, guys? Welcome back to another Sport Universe podcast. It's me, Brian, and I'm joined with Nick. What's going on, guys? All right, so obviously the uh, first week of football, I mean, NFL playoffs started, so that's going to be the focus of it. But like we always do, we'll start with baseball and then get into it. So um, the big trend this week is that the Nationals are basically just signing every single player available. Um, it started off, they start, I think this, I think it was this week. Uh, they signed Star and Castro, which actually I'll just go through everyone then hit each one individually. They signed Star and Castro, then they signed Will Harris, then they signed Daniel Hudson, and now they signed Eric Thames. Um, Star and Castro doesn't really bother me that much. Um, he's definitely got some uh, skill, obviously, but he never became the player that he was uh, supposed to become. So I'm not really worried about him. Will Harris, I am worried about. Um, Will Harris and Daniel Hudson, they're two really good bullpen arms. Um, Will Harris is more of a threat, I think, than Daniel Hudson. Um, Will Harris, year after year, is always is a good uh, bullpen guy. And like I've said a lot, bullpen pitchers are volatile, but when you find someone that's good for a long time, I don't really doubt. Daniel Hudson, on the other hand, he had a really good season this last year. He didn't have the greatest season the year before, so I don't really know what to say about him. But... If they play like they did last year, that's a scary bullpen. Um, and then Eric Thames, um, two years ago he had that breakout year coming back from, I think it was Japan. Um, and he's still a big threat. I don't know if he's going to – I would imagine he's going to start for them because they do need a first baseman. But either way, coming off the bench or starting, he's a big power threat. He doesn't – I don't think he hits for average. I would imagine he doesn't um, because I would think that he would sign – for more than one year, $4 million if he was a dual threat like that. But they're just signing everyone. I think the biggest news is how they've restock, revamped their bullpen, specifically after the Mets revamped their bullpen. So that's kind of annoying. Um, any opinions on that, Nick? Um, yeah, I'd have to ask you a question first. Okay. Who have the Nationals lost since winning the World Series? Anthony Rendon. And, is that it? And Ryan Zimmerman is a free agent. Okay. Is there a possibility they could still re-sign Ryan Zimmerman? Um, yeah, I would think so. Um, but Ryan Zimmerman. It's possible because they are sending. So my point is that when you look at the Nationals as a whole, right, they won the World Series last year. Mm-hmm. They have they had good talent on the team. And they've only lost Anthony Randone, who is a big part of the team. But at the end of the day, he is replaceable, as is any baseball player. Yeah. It's kind of like football players are replaceable. The only player – I say the only sport where you have unreplaceable players is, is basketball because you only have five players on the court, True. so it's hard to replace one of those five. But when you have a larger team like like baseball, football, whatever it is, players are replaceable. Uh, ultimately, I would say the Nationals are in win now mode yeah. and they're looking to replace it, whatever talent they had in Rendon and and some by yeah. signing all these players. And yeah. who knows, it could work, right? Yeah. Um, the last time, the only player that I really know truly out of all the names that you listed is Starling Castro, mm-hmm. as he played for the Yankees, and he was really good for the Yankees. Um, I don't know any any player that plays for the Yankees is good while they're on the Yankees. When they get off the Yankees, not so good. Yeah, I think it's the so, stadium. I was just the Yankees, man, but um, you know, the Nationals are still a team to watch. Like you know, they still think about it. They still have Strasburg. They still have Scherzer. They have they've added all this talent. For sure, they might they might be better than they were last season. I, I feel like last season they got lucky if I'm like they didn't have they had like a pretty good for uh regular season and then they mm-hmm. just got hot at the right got moment. Got better in, in, yeah. in the playoffs. I agree with you. Yeah, I think yeah. that 
maybe the Nationals are looking for a little more consistency yeah. at signing all the rest of these players. I do think Anthony Rendon, not having Anthony Rendon, specifically the season that he had last year, is going to have a pretty impactful or a big impact on their team. Even though mm-hmm. I, I understand what you're saying with, like, it's he's replaceable, but he had such an elite season last year that that's a big part of their lineup that's gone. Very true, and I agree with you. And I think it's part of the reason they are signing so much talent. Yeah, they're, that's true. I would say they're they're scared the fact that they lost Rendon. He was such a big part of the team. They, they don't want to fall out, you know. Yeah. If you can't get a player that's the same caliber as as Rend- caliber as Rendon, you might as well sign enough players to equal the caliber that he brought. Yeah, that's true. Um, from the Nationals, this this is the stupidest thing I've heard. Uh, so Cespedes' injury. The Mets. The Mets. The Mets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it came out now, but. Um, the big injury that Cespedes had last season that kept, kept him out all of 2019 was at first it was just like they called it like a violent accident on his farm and I was like okay like uh, I couldn't really guess but I didn't guess it was going to be this so it came out that he has these nets on his farm that catches these animals that like would run onto public streets and whatnot, and a wild boar got caught in one of those nets. Cespedes came out to, like, untangle it from the net, I guess. And there was this big hole behind him. And when he finally untangled the boar, it either startled him or ran after him that he fell back and got his ankle stuck in the hole and then had a sprained ankle, which I think became a broken ankle or was a broken ankle. I don't remember how it went. But that is such a... Like, I wish that never came out. Like, the Mets have actual stuff going for them this season, and that just, like, put... I don't even know how to explain it, but it's just such a Mets-type thing to happen. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Is Sessa is back this season, or coming that's into this next saying. season? Um, before the so, off-season... This kept, him all, this kept him out all of last season. Yeah. Well, and the possibility into the beginning of the next season. Yeah, the, the way that... So, he had... He's been... He, when he was playing, he had a bunch of hamstring injuries with the Mets, mm-hmm. and so he got this surgery that was supposed to, like, fix these injuries, like, getting hamstring injuries, I guess, strengthen it. Um, and then this whole poor uh, accident happened, and then he had to get ankle surgery. So it just kept... Mm-hmm. Everything was piling on. So do you, th- you still think he is the caliber player that he once was? Uh, it's hard to say. I, I think he could be, but if... If the injury bug hits him again, like he it had been has been with the Mets, then no. And I think that's why a lot of people are just like kind of pushing it to the side that Cespedes is going to come back this season because they can't trust him to be like an everyday player. But I feel like he could be. It's just mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. Um, so I guess moving on from the Mets, uh, in terms of Yankees news, there really isn't much. Yankees have been pretty dormant. I would say that it is to a special anniversary for the Yankees uh, on this day. Uh, I would say I was at nine years ago. The Yankees signed Mark Teixeira to, I believe, an eight-year deal. Um, I think it was like $160 million at the time. And he turned out to be a pretty good player for the Yankees. He brought him back to a lot of playoffs. He was a really good first baseman for them. He's retired now, so that's the news there. I also did buy a Garrett Cole jersey. I have hopped on the Cole train. Um, so I'm excited. I'm getting that jersey in probably a day or so. So excited. Yeah, my girlfriend had to go buy it for me because apparently they're sold out online. I saw it in the store, and I didn't buy it. And she went back and bought it for me, and then I paid her the money. So excited for that jersey. Uh, 
I think that's all the baseball news there is for this week. Yeah. All right, so going into the football playoffs. And this I is the watch big... these games so I can uh, <laughs> give opinions. <laughs> all right, so we had a total of four games this week, and I would say every single game was pretty good. There was no blowouts, and every single game you know, has its own storyline, and so it should be a good, interesting week. I'm excited to get into it, so let's go. Uh, first week, uh, first game of the week, we had the five-seeded Bills against the four-seeded Texans. Um, you know, watching this game, I, in my opinion, I saw almost a complete 180 of the teams. Uh, you know, the Bills were dominating for the most of the first half. Yeah. They were really, I thought Deshaun Watson was frust- was, you know, frustrated in the first half. He, he was really flustered. He was trying to, he was running the ball when he had open wide receivers, and he was trying to do everything himself. Seems like he was really nervous. And then on the other hand, second-year quarterback for the Bills, uh, Josh Allen, you know, he's a really talented runner as well as, as well as a really talented thrower of the football. And I think he is going to be one of the top quarterbacks, you know, going into the future of the NFL. And I think that really showed in the first half of the game. He was making good decisions, making good reads. He was running the ball well. And the Bills put up a, put up a good amount of points. I can't remember what the score was per quarter. I could probably go check that. Yeah, so the Bills were up, what, 13 nothing at half. Yeah. And, you know, it seemed like the Bills were going to win that game. And then the Texans come back in the second half, and it's almost a complete 180. In the second half, the Bills put up six points, and the Texans put up 22. Uh, this, you know, in the second half, Deshaun Watson really showed that he is he is this MVP caliber player that he was the entire season. He, he made his reads, he was he was throwing dimes, and he, he's he, he's one of the one of those quarterbacks that's going to be really good in the future. But he's also very good right now. Mm. You know, we're, we're we're starting to see him entering his prime. You know, three four years into his career, so that that's a really good sign for the Texans. Um, if the, if the Texans can really fill out their roster, they can be a really good team. We'll have to see how far they go in the playoffs this year. But I think they're a couple players away from really being a contender for the Super Bowl. Um, and I don't know, for the Texans, I would say that uh, J.J. Watt came back this week from his pectoral injury. I don't remember what the details of it were, but it was supposed to end the season, but he came back uh, for this game. He only had one sack, which was a really impressive sack if you go back and watch the highlight. But he also put up a lot of quarterback pressures, and he made his presence felt in this game. Uh no matter who he was lined up on on defense, whether they tried to double team him with the tight end or putting him on the right tackle, whoever it was, he he really put up a lot of pressure against Sean Watson, uh, not Sean Watson, rather Josh Allen, rather, and he he really made an impact in this game. So he was he was really big for them on defense. Um, going beyond that, I would say in terms of players to highlight, we had Devin Singletary. He put up seventy six rushing yards or something like that. Ricky running back for the Bills. So that's a really good sign for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Jerry Hughes, 31-year-old defensive end for the Bills, put up three, I think, three, three-and-a-half sacks for that game, which is against Deshaun Watson. He's really mobile. That's really good. Uh, the Bills have a really talented team as well as a really young team. I think they have really good coaching. So when you're, if you're the Buffalo Bills, I think you have a lot to look forward to. Um, that They're going to be probably a playoff contention, contending team going into the future. Depending on what happens to the Patriots, which we'll get into that when we get to the Patriots, I do think the Bills will either win out the division or compete for the wild card for years to come. Uh, so that's my little rundown of the Bills-Texans. What do you have to say about the game, Brian? Yeah. Um, well, we were talking about this, but Josh, like what you said, like the complete 180, Josh Allen at the end of the game, was. I feel like he was trying to do too much, and I guess... 100% agree with you. That comes from like giving up such a lead, and he felt like he had to get those points back. But he was making such stupid plays, and it was kind of... I'm sure it was disappointing for Bills fans because he had such a great season, and to see it end that way probably put, like, a bad taste in their mouth. Um, 
But, like, the Bills at the end of that game deserved to lose, um, specifically because of Josh Allen. They were just making so many stupid decisions. Um, what's the coach's name? Uh, I think it's Sh- Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott, right? yeah. I mean, he was making some not the smartest calls at the end of the game. I for, I think it was, like, third and 13. And mm-hmm. they were in field goal range, and they could have ran it to get closer, but instead they decided to throw in Josh Allen had, like, a big sack against him, which basically took them out of field goal range. Um, and then wasn't that the same? It was, like, 4th and 27, and they decided to go for it instead of, like, possibly taking a field goal. Mm-hmm. I didn't mind going for a 4th to 47 because they – I forget what the reason was. But I remember it wasn't too bad of a play call. I don't even think Sean McDermott's uh, – calls were that bad i really think it was just josh allen had a panic attack at the end of the game yeah, and he, he wasn't did. ready for that pressure he i think it was like two plays in a row where he ran back 15 yards and took a sack mm-hmm. rather than throw the ball away and that really hurt him i remember those one play i think it was two plays in a row he ran like 10 15 yards back got two consecutive sacks but yeah. i want to say it was the play before that this is all in one drive mind you that he, he went 10 15 yards back and before he got sacked he chucked it up into double coverage and didn't get picked off yeah. but it almost did so it was just he panicked at the end, and it really hurt them. Yeah, that's all I really have to say for that. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I just wanted to correct myself. Dim Singletary had 58 yards rushing. Oh, that's right. He had he had I think he had 134 yards from from scrimmage. Mm. He, he caught a lot of passes for them too, if I remember correctly. Um, I just want to check that. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. he had. 76 yards receiving, 58 yards rushing, which added up to 134 yards from scrimmage. So, you know, a lot to look forward to if you're the Buffalo Bills. Um, so that's that's game. Congrats to the Houston Texans. We'll have to see how far they go in the playoffs. I don't think they'll get too much farther because I think they're probably going to be outmatched in the next round. But we'll have to see how they do, you know, going into the future. So moving on, we had the Titans and the Patriots. Uh, this is a really cool game. I talked about it last week that I thought the Titans had a really good chance to upset here. The Patriots were not doing as hot as of late. They were a team that was really struggling. On the other hand, the Titans have been super hot as of late. And it seems as if my prediction came true, and, uh, and obviously it did because the Titans won 20-13. to um, This game, was a re- I think would say it was a really big defensive battle, but not, not you know, either team had sacks. It was just a lot of good coverage and a lot of good quarterback pressure. Um, on the Titans side of things, you know, Derrick Henry was, I would say he's the player of the entire week. He had 182 yards rushing, and I believe he had one touchdown. Um he was phenomenal. He had 34 carries. Uh, you know, the Titans like to run the ball a lot, and he's a big piece, big reason why. He reminds me a lot of Eddie George in terms of, like, he just runs the ball with so much power, and he makes defenders, you know, chain, they don't, they're afraid to tackle him straight up because he'll run over them. He's almost like, in terms of, like, the power he has, you know, as we've seen in recent history, somebody like Marshawn Lynch, where he's hard to just tackle one-on-one. They have to take certain angles in order just to bring him down, and that allows him to pick up extra yards because then, you know, players will try to tackle him, give him a little bit more space and try to go for the legs, and he'll wind up stiff-arming them and just breaking more tackles and getting more yards. So Derrick Henry's a really big part of that game. Um, he's a really big part of why the Titans won. Uh, going on beyond that, neither Ryan Tannehill or Marcus Mariota really performed well in this game, um, and that's because Patriots defense was pretty good this year, although I do think they lack talent, and, you know, it was pretty much shown throughout this game. Uh, you know, on the Patriots side, nobody got a single sack. Uh, Tom Brady threw 54% for the day, had a 63.8 QBR, he had 209 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. Uh, nobody on the Patriots had over 65 yards rushing. Nobody on the Patriots had over 65 yards receiving. 
Julian Edelman only had 30 yards receiving. And on defense, I'll repeat it again, not a single person on the Patriots defense had a sack. Oh, no, never mind. Kyle Van Noy had a sack. Um, so I just think that, you know, they really lacked you know, one sack for the Patriots in terms of how much their uh, defense carried them this season. Mm. Only getting one sack in your defense is not going to be enough, especially when, you know, as we've seen even against the Titans here, that their offense struggled pretty badly. Again, if you're not going to get production in your defense, that Patriots team is going to fall apart. Um, I'll talk about what I think about. You know, obviously, I don't. I do think the Titans are probably going to again get outmatched in the second round of the playoffs. But congrats to the Tennessee Titans. I think that they've really improved. You know, they, they were a team that was saw as maybe a rebuilding team at the beginning of the year, and it seems like they really found themselves late in the year. So congrats to the Tennessee Titans. I'm going to talk a little bit about the Patriots dynasty afterwards. But I'll hand it over to you for your comments about the game or the Patriots dynasty. Um, I think speaking on Derrick Henry. Um, now this could just be a guess, but I guess it could be a question for you. But is I feel like Ryan Tannehill has become for them. Like I don't think they give him a lot of freedom when it comes to like maybe like play calling or going for that big throw. And I feel like he's kind of like there's a term for quarterbacks where they just like don't get system no- quarterback maybe. Uh, they don't get turnovers, and they just can keep the game moving. Like, Ryan Fitzpatrick was that for the Jets, like, he's considered that. Yeah, I, I don't know the exact term what you're talking about, but I understand what you're saying. They yeah. they follow whatever the coach gives them, and they run it how they run it, and yeah. they don't get a lot of freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, so I think uh, that was definitely shown in this game. They're like a, they're like, they're like a clock manager or game management, game management type of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like that was definitely relevant, and I feel like that's probably how the Titans will go into it next week, and if they make it past next week, continue to go after that, because Derrick Henry is such a talent that he can carry their team, and you saw it against the Patriots. Um, in terms of the dynasty, uh, if Tom Brady leaves, I would be so happy, um, but I don't think that's going to happen. I feel it, it would be so stupid of him to, well, either he retires or stays with the Patriots because I feel like that's such a hit to your reputation. Like, why do you think you have to leave this team that you've been on forever to try and do something somewhere else? Like, you've proved everything already. You're basically considered the greatest quarterback ever. So what else is there? I don't – I wouldn't really understand it if he left. Um, yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, just before I move on to that, I do want to say the Titans are kind of the classic team in terms of, you know – Teams that have dominated in the NFL since the beginning of the NFL, despite how big of a passing league it's become, it always falls down to the defense you can play and your running game. You know, defensively, the Titans have not been the greatest, but they've been serviceable, and they really shut down the Patriots today, uh, yesterday rather, and or I forget when the game Saturday. was. Today's Monday, right? Yeah, Saturday, um, and it showed. Uh, going beyond that, uh, you know, the fact that they run the ball. That really helps, you know, against teams like the Patriots. Who, if you have a really good defense, you know, if you have the ability to run the ball, you you have the ability to control the defense, control the tempo. If defenses have to adjust to your run, then they're going to give you space for, to pass the ball. And it's just if you can build a running game in the NFL, it'll carry you a long way. And that's as having the Titans this year, um, along with you know finding probably their franchise quarterback in Ryan Tannehill, which I think is pretty interesting because Ryan Tannehill has been in the league for quite some years. Yeah. You know, he's been on and off with the Dolphins for, I don't know how many years now. He's 31. And it seems like he might just be entering his prime with the, the, the Titans. Well, I'd definitely give him another year before I, you know, say that he's in his prime and he's doing really good. But he had a good year this year. So I, I think that's good if you're a Ryan Tannehill fan to see, yeah. um, you know, going on to the Patriots dynasty, I think there's a few things that will alter Tom Brady's decision. 
He's already alluded to the fact that he's not retiring. I believe he could retire. I think the number one thing that he will not do is go to a different team. It makes no sense, as you said. It hurts your reputation. It just it doesn't make sense at the age of forty three to go to a new franchise that you you've been on the Patriots your entire career. But I think it's pretty interesting. This is the first year that Brady's has hasn't been on contract. He's yeah. been a free agent and he's forty three years old. Yeah, I mean that's that's a long when he's been in the league for twenty plus years now or whatever it is, and he hasn't been a free agent. I think that's pretty neat. Interesting. I think it's a testament to how good Tom Brady is. The Patriots have have never let him even hit the free agent market. Um, going off of that, I think the only so you know, barring that he's not going to a different team, which I don't think he will, as I explained, he's either going to retire or resign with the Patriots. He said in the past that he's wanted to play to forty five, so that gives me the indication that he will resign to a two year deal with the Patriots and see how things go. The Patriots are great at finding new talent and finding new ways to win with players that they get off the street. So, you know, the fact that they didn't have enough talent this year could be fixed through the draft or trades, whatever they might do. I think the Patriots probably will take another look at Antonio Brown, if I have to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't, you know, total speculations here, but, right, we're going to say that Brady comes back. You know, people were saying that Patriots uh, dynasty is, is dead, right? This could easily happen as well as could easily not happen, but let's look at this, right? Tom Brady... Re- Returns for a two, three year deal. Josh McDaniels resigns. Is the or I don't know if he resigns or he stays. He stays. Whatever. I forget if he's off or on contract this year. Um, I know he is looking at uh, head coaching jobs. But let's say he returns right as offensive coordinator. But Belichick returns as the head coach. You get you you resign Antonio Brown because you know that you need that sort of wide receiver firepower. You sign maybe a couple player defensive players, offensive players, whatever it be. I probably say go offensive line. They probably should draft offensive line this this draft, right? And maybe trade for one, and then Gronk comes out of retirement per se, right? Yeah. That 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 Patriots team is just as good as it's out, as ever been, and the Patriots dynasty is absolutely not dead. Now I'm not saying all that needs to happen for him to resign, but I'm saying that very well could happen. Um, you know the reason that Tom Brady wasn't as good this year it wasn't because of Tom Brady, and then people are often confusing that because he had a low QBR this year. I think he's really struggled because their offensive line has been awful. Right, this is the worst offensive line that Tom Brady has ever played behind, and it has really shown, especially late in the season. Um, beyond that, his wide receiver talent has been, I would say, injured. Nikhil Harry came in late. They lost Antonio Brown because he's an idiot. And Edelman, you know, having Edelman, as I've said, I don't think he's a wide receiver one. I think he's a wide receiver two, but because he plays for New England Patriots, he's been uplifted to a wide receiver one. Um, so it wasn't enough for this year. Um, so I, again, I don't. I can you can never doubt the Lincoln Patriots, and I could easily see them reloading the gun and just firing off for another great year next year if they make the right moves. Which, if any team's going to make the right moves, it's going to be the Patriots. Um, if not, I think in the circumstances where Tom Brady would retire, would see Josh McDaniels going into another team, and then Belichick deciding that he wants to call it quits and he wants to retire. If both of those guys retired, I could see Tom Brady retiring. Yeah. So that that would be my predictions on. Uh, the Patriots. If my ultimate prediction would be that the Patriots draft offensive linemen. They pick up a couple players, maybe re-sign Antonio Brown. I don't think Brown's going to come out of retirement, but that's a possibility. And Tom Brady resigns to a two to three year deal, and the Patriots are still the same team that they were. Um, you know, if if he does decide to retire and everybody decides to retire, I could, the Patriots are going to probably fall apart, honestly. And then you'll see the Bills take over the division, and maybe the Jets <laughs> win the wild card spot. So we'll we'll see what happens there. But that would be my prediction for the New England Patriots. Do you have any comments on that, Brian? 
No, not really. All right. So I guess moving on to the next game of the playoffs, we had the Saints Vikings. Um, so this game was pretty interesting. I, you know, I chose the Saints as my Super Bowl favorites just because, again, as I stated in the last podcast, that they have a ton of talent as well as they have the veteran experience and a good head coach in Sean Payton. They seem like they had everything, as they do every year. And now three years in a row, now they have fell short uh, winning the Super Bowl, even though they've been Super Bowl contenders. Um, I guess I'll start on the Viking side. Uh, Kirk Cousins. He has been doubted ever since he signed the huge contract with the Vikings, and he continues to seem, I would say, get better. He played very well this year, and it really showed in this playoffs. He came into the the home field of the Saints, and he beat Drew Brees in his environment, which is very hard to do in a playoffs game, especially in, in the way that the fashion that they did. So hats off to Kirk Cousins. He played very well. Um, you know, o- overall, the Vikings defense wasn't that great. But the offense was for the Vikings. Uh, just go over some stats real quick. Kirk Cousins uh, passed for 242 yards and a touchdown on uh, 19 for 31 passing. Had 104.4 QBR uh, rushing wise. The Vikings had D- Dalvin Cook, who's been a really good running back for them last this year. Had two touchdowns, 94 yards on 28 carries, and then finally Adam Thielen really did well for them in terms of you know receiving. He he. Uh, had 129 receiving yards on seven receptions. He didn't have a touchdown, but again, like the Vikings offense really carried them and it really helped them. I would say uh, they were probably not the favorites in this game, so it helped them upset the Saints. Uh, on the Saints side, you know, Drew Brees did it okay. He was 20, 26 for 33 passing, which is good, 78.8% completion rate, which is pretty good. Uh, 208 yards and he had one touchdown, one reception for a 95.9 QBR, which is about average. Um, I think the real player, which I think that this guy deserves his own award. He is the team teammate that everybody wants. He is the player that every uh, NFL franchise wants. If every team, if you could have a team of, uh, I forget what is it, like fifty-three man roster in the NFL. If you could have a fifty-three man roster of this player, fifty-three times over, I think you could win a Super Bowl a hundred times over with him. Um, and that player is backup quarterback for. Well, I guess he's backup or third string. I don't know how you'd put it. Uh, back, I'd probably. I like to call him the Rover quarterback because he does it all. Uh, Taysom Hill. Who, if you guys don't know who Taysom Hill is, just a little bit of uh, rundown. He was a really good quarterback in college. However, I think he tore his ACL. He had a hit a major injury, and then team stopped scouting him in the NFL, and he kind of really fell off. <coughs> I forget if he went drafted or not, but he wasn't very highly touted, and he hasn't really been the greatest quarterback in the NFL. However, the Saints have given him a shot. They said, you know what? We can't really use you at quarterback right now, especially the fact that we have Drew Brees. However, we do want you on the team. We know you're a good guy. You're a hard worker. You're a good teammate. So if you can do X, Y, and Z for us and you can help us win, we'll keep you on the team. And Taysom Hill has done just that. You know, he's he does it all for the Saints, and it really showed in this game, you know, just going through what Taysom Hill has done in this game. Taysom Hill for one, one for one in passing for 50 yards, which was a really big – he busted open a big play for them. That was one of the big reasons they almost won this game. Uh, in terms of rushing, Taysom Hill rushed the ball for four times for 50 yards. And in terms of receiving, Taysom Hill – uh, had 25 yards receiving on two receptions. And on defense, which I guess I didn't really track the stats because it was mostly on special teams, he made a couple tackles on special teams, which is, I mean, what else do you want from a quarterback, you know? Um, it, I, I mean, it pretty much shows that there's a, when you watch him run the, full, run the football or, you know, be, be out there going for wide receiver, you can tell he's not the most, uh, I would say, fundamentally sound. He doesn't have, you know, the crispest, crispest route running. 
or you're the best hands. But you can see that he gives 100% effort in whatever he does, and he does whatever the Saints need him to. So I just think he's such a really special player, and he deserves like a spotlight of his own, maybe an award of his own. Um, again, if you have players like that, they'll do everything for the team. You know, you're going to win a lot more games. And again, as I said, if you had 53 of him on a team, I think you could win a Super Bowl with that team. Um, you know, going beyond that, uh, I just want to say, like this this game went to overtime, and the Vikings won in overtime on a possible offensive pass interference call, which I think we're going to discuss today as a controversial topic. So we'll get into that later. But I said that's my rundown for the Vikings Saints games. Uh, Viking Saint game, uh, Brian. Do you have any comments? Yeah. Um, I in our Instagram live, which we do every Saturday. I don't have a specific time, but if you want to watch it, I said that the Saints were going to win. I mean, for similar reasons as Nick said, but just like the Saints had such a great season, and they have Drew Brees, and the Vikings had a good season too, ten and six. That's very good. Um, but I just expected the Saints to win this game they're playing at home against the vikings like i've explained um and they're always good at home and i thought that was going to continue and i mean our controversial topic is the play at the end and it seems like they continue to be screwed um but we'll get into that but that's basically all i have to say with that um 100 um if you're the saints you know with Taysom hill possibly taking over as quarterback i'd imagine that teddy bridgewater signs with another team this offseason or he gets trade. I forget if he's on contract or not. I'm pretty sure he comes a free agent at the end of the season, so he'd go somewhere else. Um, you know, Taysom Hill is a future quarterback. Not a bad option. Um, the Vikings move on to the next round. I think, again, like all the teams that have won this week, um, I think they will get outmatched in another round, in the second round. But obviously, there's probably going to be one upset or two upset. You know, you can't count how many upsets, but there'll most likely be one upset. So I honestly don't know where that's going to come from. I'd probably say it's going to be whoever. Uh, look, I want to speak. I want to see who the key teams are playing next week. Um, so in the divisional round, we have Vikings, 49ers, Titans, Ravens, uh, Texans, Chiefs, and Seahawks, Packers. Uh, the only team that I could see most likely being upset is the Packers, but the Seahawks haven't been that strong either. So, um, oh, we'll go into my predictions for that after this last game. So, last game of. The first week of the NFL playoffs, we had the Seahawks, the Seattle Seahawks versus the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Seahawks take it 17-9. and uh, This game was really just the Eagles being injury-riddled, and, you know, it's really coming back to bite them. On the Eagles' side, the Eagles have been down all this year in terms of, I think they haven't had their quarter, their cornerback one, cornerback two. They, they haven't had their wide receiver one, wide receiver two for a while. They've lost their running back one. They've lost Carson once, and he's came back, so it's just... Again, injury in offensive line has been injury riddled. Every I think every single position on the Eagles has seen an injury at some point throughout the season, and it really showed in this game. Uh, although the Eagles have been injury riddled, they really put up a fight at the beginning of the game. Um, I think it was like ten to three at halftime, and even though it was, again ten to three, only a touchdown difference. But it, it, I would say that the score doesn't even do that justice. It was a very close game at the beginning. However, Carson Wentz did go out early in the game with an injury. Um, I think it was pretty evident that Jadavion Clowney put, I think it was helmet to helmet as Carson Wentz went to go slide. Uh, Jadavion Clowney came in with a late hit and it, I, I think it could be classified as late, as helmet to helmet as well as a late hit. And Carson Wentz hit his head against the ground after getting hit in the back by Jadavion Clowney. 
and he left the game for the rest of the game with a head injury, most likely. I don't know if they've announced it yet, but it's probably going to be a concussion. Makes the most sense, right? And that left 40-year-old veteran uh, Josh McCown to take over the Eagles. And mind you, again, with the Eagles being so injury-riddled this year, despite having a good coach, Doug Peterson, I think he's a pretty good coach, you know, you can only do so much when you're limited so much on, with your talent because of injury. Uh, Carson Wentz has really put the Philadelphia Eagles on his back this year, and he's the reason they are in the playoffs. They scraped by to get here. And without Carson Wentz, the Eagles are just not the same team, and it really showed. Uh, the Eagles struggled to stop Seattle Seahawks' uh, pass rush, and Josh McCann, you know, being 40 years old, being a pocket passer, he really didn't have the mobility to avoid the rush, and that really showed. Um, he got sacked a bunch of times and constantly had pressure in his face. Um, he did make some good throws. And he, I think he did. He played all right for what he did, for what he was in terms of that game, but he just wasn't enough. Uh, you know, Seattle Seahawks and their offense – their passing offenses had really dominated in this game. Um, in terms of passing, Russell Wilson went 18 for 30, 60% completion rate, uh, 325 yards and a touchdown, 115.3 QBR. Really good for that game. Um, DK Metcalf, who I said in a tweet one day originally got drafted to the Seahawks, I said the Eagles should have drafted him. And I essentially, I didn't say it directly, but it was pretty obvious that I figured they were going to one day regret not not drafting him because he was really good talent. Um, he put up 160 yards receiving on seven receptions and one touchdown. Absolutely torched the Eagles. And, you know, as I kind of predicted and alluded to in that tweet, go check it out at Nick Horvath 61 on Twitter. Uh, I think I tweeted out April 27th, which was, I think, when the draft was, um, that they regret it, and they did because he torched them in the playoffs. Um, going off of that, in terms of defense, Nobody did exceptionally well on on Seahawks defense, but I do want to mention the fact that uh, Marshawn Lynch, he was retired, unretired, came back to the Seahawks this, this for this game, I believe. Or was it last game? I think it was this game because the Seahawks, all of their running backs have been injured, so they decided to sign Robert Turbin, who didn't really play after the Seahawks this week. I don't know if they cut him or he didn't play. I don't know what the deal was there. But Marshawn Lynch, who had been hyped up for even during the game, he got hyped up because he scored one touchdown. But he only had six carries for seven yards, which is nothing. <laughs> and he had one touchdown, which he ran in from maybe like the two-yard line. He had, his longest run was five yards, so he was pretty much a no-show in this game. Um, found that Ty Lockett had a good game, made a, a couple of good catches. Uh, on the Eagles' side, in terms of stats, Josh McCann was 18 for 24, really good completion percentage for 75%, again, for how good the pass rush was for Seattle. Um, he put up 174 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, 101.9 QBR. Again, not great, but not bad at the same time. Uh, Miles Sanders, who's who's really good for the Eagles this season, one of the players that have, I think he got injured at some point, but he's been relatively healthy this season. He had 69 yards uh, rushing, so that's pretty good for them. <laughs> and I think like these two stats defines the Eagles in their season. Um, so in terms of receiving, the Eagles' top two receivers were um, – I believe they were, yeah, they were Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard, who had, Zach Ertz had 40, 40 yards receiving, and Dallas Goddard had 73 yards receiving. Neither of them had touchdowns. They led the team in receiving, and again, none of them even had 100 yards, and they're both tight ends. Tight ends generally don't lead teams in receiving, especially two tight ends. Again, they are very, both of them are both very talented tight ends, or Zach Ertz probably being the more talented tight end. But the fact that you have tight ends leading you in receiving, and neither of them even getting 100 yards, it's really a testament to the fact that your injuries are really hurting you. Um, in terms of wide receivers who had yards, you had Greg Ward, who's a quarterback turned wide receiver. 
um, out of the University of Houston. And then, I want to say, is this Burnett guy? I don't even know who this is. Yeah, Deontay Burnett, who I've never heard of, had receiving yards for them. And no other wide receivers had had um, receiving yards for them. Again, no, like nobody named. So, again, uh, just going over it, uh, Seattle Seahawks, I think they're pretty good. But, you know, Russell Wilson can only do so much in their running game. Really hasn't been anything this year. And the offensive line has been pretty bad. The only reason their offense is doing as well as it is is because of Russell Wilson. Their defense is above average, but I wouldn't say it's anything like um, LOB as we've seen in the past, Legion of Boom that we saw in the past. So, I, again, Seahawks are probably going to get outmatched in, in the next round, but the fact that they are playing the Packers, Packers, I would say, are the most likely team to get upset in the next round. Hmm. Um, on the Eagles' side, hopefully we can see them come back a little more resilient next year, and once hopefully the injury bug will leave the team, and then you might see a really good Philadelphia Eagles team again. I think Carson Wentz is still the MVP player that he once was, and you know he's just getting unlucky with, with the injuries that he's getting. But at the end of the day, he is still the same player. He really helps put the he really puts the Eagles on his back, and re, he really helps them win games, win games. And uh, beyond that, I just say congratulations to Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Brian, you have any comments about this game? Um, the only thing I wanted to come like what you said with Carson once, but it's just con- he's this was his first playoff game, which um, is kind of sad. I mean, they've made it to the Super, they've won the Super Bowl a few years back. How many? That's like four years back. Mm, three, three, I think. Three, yeah. Because last year was Rams, uh, Patriots, and then the year oh, before okay. that, I think was Eagles, Patriots. So two. Yeah, yeah. And the year before that was Patriots, Falcons. You see the Patriots three times there. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Um. Yeah, it's just. I mean, I hate when like good talent is injured. I mean, specifically talent that I don't really care about for my teams, but like when young talent is injury ridden, um, it just sucks. Uh, and, I mean, he said, that's all I really have to say. There's not really more, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's the first week of the NFL playoffs. You guys, any questions, comments, concerns, leave them, you know, wherever you can. Um, you know, going in, as I alluded to before, the next set of games that we have, uh, in the divisional round, we have the Vikings 49ers. My pick for that for that game is going to be the 49ers. The 49ers are too good. Mm. I really don't see the Vikings upsetting them in that in that uh, game. What do you think, Brian? There. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then moving on, we have the Titans. Ravens. The Ravens are just they're yeah. unbelievable. I I don't think the Titans stand a chance. The Ravens have a really good run defense, and if you could shut down the Titans' run, then it it really hurts them. Um, and I do, absolutely do not have the defense to keep up with Lamar Jackson. I'm actually pretty excited to watch that game. I'm excited to see what Lamar Jackson does in the playoffs here. Yeah. Uh, that he's been hot all season. He's most likely going to win MVP. So I'm picking Ravens there. You as well, Brian? Yeah, yeah, yeah Ravens. All right. Um, well, we have Texans Chiefs. Um, you know, this game I'd probably say is going to be a little bit closer. Yeah. The Chiefs have struggled this year, but they've also been very good, you know, 12 of 4 again. Um, Patrick Mahomes got injured, so that really hurt them in terms of starting. But or I say mid year, but they've gotten hot towards later in the end of the year. They've really cleaned up what they've done. Haven't heard much about the Chiefs in the media, which is kind of interesting. They were mm-hmm. pretty hot last year, and they've kind of been silent this year. Um, I would say the Chiefs are my favorite to win here. However, the Texans do have a chance to upset. I'm going to pick the Texans for this game, specifically okay. upset wise. Um, I feel like the Chiefs have underperformed obviously based off what last season was for them and and i based off what i saw against the bills and how he was able to return deshaun watson is proved a lot to me in that game and i have 
more faith in him than I did before. Um, hundred percent. You know, at the same time, I think it is it isn't it isn't a terrible place to pick an upset simply due to the fact that if you can shut down the Chiefs on offense, yeah. they're done for. I mean, That's their true. defenses are right, but it, it's not going to be able to compete if you shut down their offense. Their offense is essentially the key to that team. And if J.J. Watt stays hot and he stays unblockable and he fights his pectoral, he probably is still suffering from his pectoral injury. If he continues to put up pressure like he did and the Texans can, can, game, can game plan right, I can see the Texans upsetting here. Um, I am going to pick the Chiefs, though. I think Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Andy Reid are too good just to lose this game. But I can see if somebody was to pick an upset here, I would understand why. Uh, moving out of the last game, I have the Seahawks-Packers. And this is the game that I think has the biggest chance of seeing an upset because I think the Packers are probably the out of all the teams that had a first round buys, the Packers are the, the, the weakest team out of all of them. You know, beyond Aaron Aaron Rodgers, their offense isn't great. Aaron Jones has been all right. He's been pretty good running back this year. And in terms of the Devontae Adams and the receiving core has been all right this year. You know, I wouldn't say they're anything spectacular, but they're they're on average to good, somewhere in that range. Um and then their defense has been uh, serviceable this year. Yeah, it started off as one of the, I would say, more elite defense at the beginning of the year, but it's kind of cooled down. Um, they are they are pretty good at getting takeaways, but I also think that when you're playing a person like Russell Wilson, you know, if you're not taking the ball away, then Russell Wilson will find ways to torture you. So I probably, you know, I don't want to pick. I'm going to stick with the Packers here, even though I think this this is probably my my favorite in terms of upsetting, and it, it's more testament. Not to how strong the Seahawks are, but how weak the Packers can be. Um, you know, the, I think the Packers are, are still going to be too good for the Seahawks in terms of the Seahawks' offense. If you can stop Russell Wilson, they have no running game, and that's going to hurt them. Their defense again has been average to to good, and it just it, it's not going to be enough to stop Aaron Rodgers. I think Aaron Rodgers is going to find ways to best the Seahawks' defense with Matt Lafleur, and I think that the Seahawks' offense once it fails on them, it's going to be tough. I think that. You know, if you could sign, if you could stop the passing game, then the Seahawks are kind of done for. And uh, I just, I see the Packers co- coming away in a close one here. I'm gonna say Seahawks simply because I have so much faith in Russell Wilson, and obviously, if you can stop Russell Wilson, then then that's a problem. But I just gonna trust that they won't be able to stop Russell Wilson, and it's definitely gonna be a close game in my eyes. And I think the Seahawks will be able to inch it out over them. Mm-hmm. All right, so that does it for the NFL playoffs um, in terms of NFL news. Uh, Mike McCarthy to the Cowboys is official. They're going to sign him for a five-year deal. Uh, Jason Garrett is out officially today. His contract expired. They already said, or it already leaked to the news that they weren't going to re-sign him. And then today became official. They didn't re-sign him, and it seems that we have a five-year deal in the works for Mike McCarthy to the Cowboys. Uh, Cowboys apparently wanted somebody with NFL coaching experience that could really help lead the team because they feel like, and I, I think I do agree with the Cowboys here, that they have the talent to win a Super Bowl. They just need the right coach. I think the right coach will go a long way for them, along, as well as the right coordinators, of course. But um, I, I like the signing. Um, in terms of Mike McCarthy, he's never really developed a good run game in the NFL, but he, he is a good, good guy with the quarterbacks. And I feel with the Cowboys offensive line and – Zeke Elliott, I think the run game can take care of itself. He doesn't need to really scheme up too much there. If he can, if he can really build a really good passing game, then the run game will, will back it up. He, he could kind of change the narrative in the NFL with the team that he has there in terms of offense. You know, defensively, I think that he, uh, Mike McCarthy is more of an offensive-minded coach, so he won't really affect too much there. 
I think that they have good talent defense, and I think they have good coordinators, so that, that'll hold up on that end. On offense, I think that Mike McCarthy could turn that Cowboys, you know, pass first, but then their running game is also really good. So I like the signing for the Cowboys. Uh, Brian? Yeah. Um, I, I filmed a point of view for this, but I didn't post it because I have a, I'm not to get too much into it, but I put this cream on my face last night, and it caused my face to get all red, so I, I looked like I was crying in the video. So I wasn't going to post it. Maybe I'll do something tomorrow. But, um, so, what I was saying in the video, they only interviewed Mike McCarthy and Marvin Lewis. They wanted NFL-ready um, coaches. And I think of those two, they definitely made the right choice with Mike McCarthy. Um, I think the only thing, there's a few things. First off, it'll be interesting because he had, like, this whole thing where he was saying that he's now wants to use analytics in his game, and he's always been, like, kind of an old-school quarterback, uh, head coach. And it'll be interesting to see how he features analytics, if he even does that. Um, secondly, I just – he definitely helped develop Aaron Rodgers, but with what Aaron Rodgers is as, like, one of the best ever, to not have as much – to not have more success with him compared to what they did have is is a red flag for me, but – I think they made the right choice with what they wanted for the Cowboys. Mm, I agree. Yeah, when you think about like what he left with the Packers, he kind of left the Packers in shambles. They yeah. weren't the same team that they were, and now they've gotten rid of them. They're uh, they're a better team again. So that's that is a red flag, and the fact that he didn't win more with Aaron Rodgers mm-hmm. is another red flag. But at the same time, he did win a Super Bowl with him, so you can't knock him there. Um, and I also think maybe the Packers just needed a change of scenery. It didn't work out, you know. We'll have to see how it works out, but I understand your concerns there. Um, so Mike McCarthy to the Cowboys. Uh, in terms of in terms of other NFL head coaching news, there hasn't been much. Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about who I want the Giants to get head coach. So I think the Giants should be done experimenting at head coach. They need to not get another head coach that hasn't had head coach experience. So I, I don't think another offensive coordinator, whoever it might be, will, will help us. It, it seems like it hasn't worked two times in a row now, right? Between I can't remember, Ben McAdoo and Pat Shermer, I, I, I want somebody with head coaching experience, but I also want somebody fresh, somebody that we haven't seen before. Um, so ultimately, if you guys haven't put it together yet, I would like the Giants to sign the Baylor head coach Matt Rule. Mm. Um, he, I think he could offer a fresh face in the NFL <clears throat> as well as he's had, you know, coaching experience, <clears throat> and I think that with the way that the NFL is going in terms of RPOs and and how the offenses are running, I think a college head coach could could really do well in the NFL nowadays because the NFL, <clears throat> the NFL is turning a lot more like the college game in terms of you know mobile quarterbacks and RPOs. So I think he could he could be the right mix for the Giants and what they need. He seems like he's really interested in the draw and the job according to reports. So I'd be really happy to have him. I hope the Giants can get him on board. Um, I do hope the Giants could get a good offensive coordinator on top of that. I don't know who we have right now. I, I want to say that Pat Shermer was our, our offensive coordinator as well as head coach. Um, if we could have Pat Shermer back as the offensive coordinator and have Matt Rule as head coach, that would probably be ideal. But that's who I want the Giants to have as head coach. Um, so I guess that covers it all for the NFL. If you don't have any other yeah, comments, Brian? No. All right, so we're moving on to the NBA. NBA. Uh, Brian? Yeah. Um, so this, there's not really news behind this, but yesterday the Lakers uh, put up 20 blocks, which was the first time a team's ever done that in 20 years, I think was the exact time. Um, 
I mean, just a little rundown on it. Anthony Davis had like eight blocks. JaVale McGee, I think, had seven. Dwight Howard had five. And then I think other players must have had because that doesn't equal 20. Um, but the Lakers have a lot of uh, long players, and it was obviously on display. But that's not really any news. I just wanted to kind of say that. Next up, um, it's kind of related to the Knicks, I guess. They were just playing them. But the Doc Rivers and the Clippers. So um, he was interviewed, I think, after against the Clippers and was explaining that he's basically given the reins to Patrick Beverly, similar to how he gave Rajon Rondo and Chris Paul basically all um, control over the, how the offensive is run. And I found that kind of interesting, interesting because – Patrick Beverly, at least in my eyes, I'm not familiar with his stats, but I don't think he's known for being, like, offensive-minded and he's more defensive-minded compared to Rondo and Chris Paul, who obviously at one point were offensive jugg juggernauts. And Patrick Beverly's more of a defensive player, I'd say. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, but it definitely shows the uh, trust that Doc Rivers has in Patrick Beverly. Um... Any comments on that, Nick? Um, not really. I think that Doc Rivers is a good coach, yeah. and I think that Patrick Beverly he plays with a lot of heart. So giving him, you know, a lot more, I guess, control with the with the team, I think it's not a terrible idea. Patrick Beverly, he's again, he plays with a lot of heart, and if Doc Rivers thinks he thinks he knows basketball, I would trust Doc Rivers because he's a good coach. So for sure. Last thing I wanted to comment on. I mean, there's not a lot to say here, but uh, Luka Doncic and Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, lead in all-star voting in the first after the first round of voting. Um, I, Luka Doncic has like taken the NBA by storm, and that's him having more votes than like LeBron James or even Giannis. I think he leads over Giannis too. Mm -hmm. um, he does. Yeah, shows he's just taking the lead by storm and. I mean, there's nothing to really hate about him. He just seems to have fun with the game and plays really well. That's all I really wanted to say with that. Yeah, uh, just going off in terms of the voting, I also think it's, it shouldn't be as much fan base. There should be other mm -hmm. stuff involved in that. Okay. And because, again, the fact that Luka Doncic leads by so much, I don't think he's better than Giannis right now. I do think he's good. I see what you're saying, yeah. But, but I think even bigger indicator of that, is not the fact that Luka Doncic or Giannis is at the front forefront. I think it's the fact that players like Alex Caruso and Taco Fall are currently set to you know if the voting was to say the same, yeah. they would be, they would make the All Star game this year. Yeah. Um, Taco Fall is, is decent for when he's in. You know, <laughs> I guess if you gave him, I think they adjusted his stats to like if he played thirty six minutes a game, he'd be averaging forty two points. <laughs> and they're like, oh, he should be good enough to make it. But at the same time, Taco Fall is six five or is it a six five seven five. There's no way he'd have the stamina to ever play 36 points for so uh, 36 minutes a game right now. Yeah, it just he's he's not putting up numbers anywhere close. It, it's it's a fan vote, and it's really you know it's a popularity contest at the end of the day, and that's why players like Taco Fall you know have even the slightest chance of making it. And Alex Caruso has never been good for the Lakers. He's been average at best in terms of a bench player for the Lakers, but the fact that he's ball, he likes balding and he can dunk and he doesn't look athletic is the like only reason he's yeah. popular at the end of the day. Um, so it's just, you know, these players don't deserve to make it at the end of the day because yeah. there's just more talented players in them. And I think there's an issue with the fan voting. There. Yeah. 
that's my little spiel on the fan voting. Beyond that, um, in terms of Rockets news, um, Harden has changed his hairstyle. He has cornrows now with the headband. I'm not really a fan. I kind of dig like the faux hawk mohawk thing he had, a, he had going on. That was kind of more my favorite. But you know, if he continues to play well, have the cornrows, man. Um, beyond that, the Rockets are doing pretty well. You know, if the Rockets haven't most lost like close and stupid games this season, they'd be number one in the West. The Rockets are trending to move to right now. I think they're number three. I forget behind who, um, but they're trending to be number two in the West. So the Rockets are playing pretty well. I uh, hope they keep playing well. Um, so that's all I gotta say about the Rockets. Um, let me think. Is there anything really? I mean, the Knicks are. I did a point of view about this. The Knicks and a reacts. The Knicks have been playing much better under Mike Miller. I don't really want to go all into it because I did a whole reacts on it, but. A little rundown um, prior to, I mean, last week's podcast, I was saying that Mike, I think this whole phase that the Knicks are doing better under Mike Miller is uh, honeymoon phase. That's what they refer to it. But I, now I'm more on Mike Miller's side. I think I didn't give enough credit to he to him being the coach of the year in the G League for the Westchester Knicks last year, and. Yeah, he's obviously done some really good things. You can see with Julius Randle's stats. Julius Randle's been playing so much better under um, Mike Miller. And his scheme with Randle is different. Under David Fisdale, he was more of a point forward. And they still use him as that sometimes. But he's more of a point forward, so he had to find, be able to make his own shots. And now he's been playing more like a power forward, small forward. And the t- his teammates are making are getting him the shots that he that he can make instead of him having to create, which I think has created a big difference for him. Um, another big thing that he just did was put Alfred Payton in the starting lineup. Um, done popular opinion to bench Frank Milikina. Well, he didn't really bench him, but, you know, take him out of the starting lineup. And these things have been working out. They were on a three-game losing streak. They lost to the Suns, which was disappointing. But they've been playing much better under Mike Miller. That's basically it for the NBA. Um, college stuff? Um, sure. So, going into college stuff, um, <laughs> you know, there hasn't really been too much news this week. All you know, Both Clemson and LSU are preparing for the national championship uh, next week. I believe it's next Monday. It's Monday coming up, right? Um, beyond that, we've had a couple declarations for the drafts. And the only really noticeable, you know, I wouldn't say noticeable, and a notable one, is going to be Tua Teleguova. I was stuck with pronouncing his name. Don't haunt me there. Um, had a press conference today with Nick Saban. You know, the fact that he brought Nick Saban to the, the, the press conference, everyone kind of figured that he was going to stay at Alabama. But he declared for the draft today, and it should be interesting to see where he goes. Um, a lot of people are comparing him to Drew Brees. They see him as a Drew Brees type of player. And if he was a Drew Brees, you know, whatever team picked him would probably look out. That's a pretty good pick right there. You you know, Drew Brees is a player that you'd want as your franchise quarterback. Um Teams that he's likely to go to right now, which I thought are interesting. I'd say the number one team that he's projected to go to is going to be the Dolphins. And the Dolphins would trade up maybe to like the number three pick and get him in exchange for the Lions and then maybe pick him up at number three pick. Um, I just think it's kind of interesting, and I'd probably want your opinion on this or, you know, see what other people think. But personally, I think it's too early to give up on Josh Rosen. Mm. I'd say give him another year. You traded for him last year. Give him another year. You seem like you have your coaching on point because the Dolphins did approve towards the latter end of the season. You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I would not play him again in, in the Dolphins uniform. He's just, he's too old. You need to start up your your reboot. You need to start, you know, 
building the team again. And I'd start with Josh Rosen. Give him another year. Give him another year to prove himself. You know, I think three years is enough. He, I'd say he's played average at best in his two years. You know, give him in his third year, give him at least eight starts, regardless of how good or bad he plays. See if he improves at all. And if not, go ahead and draft a quarterback next year. I'm sure there'll be talent in the draft next year in terms of quarterbacks. Maybe not as quarterback rich as this one. But again, if, if not, you can go and trade for one, right? Because you did it before. Um, so again, I'd, I'd probably give Josh Rose another year. But if, if you wanted to trade Josh Rosen and pick up Tua, I guess it's not a horrible idea. I just I don't know if you should go and draft Tua while you still have Josh Rosen on the roster. How do you feel about that? What's Where are they picking right now if they didn't trade? I believe five. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I'm i always a fan. I mean, it goes back to the Knicks, but playing your young players is really important. And there's no reason if they have Josh Rosen to go out and use your pick on Tua. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. Um and, I mean, he has definitely not gotten the chance that he, that a team needs to give him to be able to make an actual decision on him. Obviously, we're, we don't know how, like, he practices and everything, which that could be a part of it, and I'm sure it is. But he has not given been given the right chance, and I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that eight games. I don't, the Dolphins aren't going to be a, anywhere close to a playoff team next year, so why not just go with Josh Rosen. Yeah, okay. I guess I agree with you there. Um, so that about wraps it up for college football this week. Uh, next week we'll probably have to get to talk about the national championships, so that should be good. Um, there's a college basketball this week. I'd say it was relatively a quiet, quiet week. Uh, none of the top three or top four seeds got upset this week. Um, however, my team Villanova did fall to Marcus Howard this week, not Marquette because Marquette's not that good. Marcus Howard, if you guys don't know him, is the top scorer in college basketball right now. I believe he's averaging 26 points per game. Um, he's the type of player that reminds me a lot of Trey Young. Will pull up from any distance and drain. Um, he really torched Villanova's defense, and he really helps spread the floor for the rest of his teammates. And Villanova falls out of the top 10 again, which sucks because a lot of top 10 teams did lose this week. Mm. But we did as well. Um I guess going through the top 10, uh, I guess we'll go through. I'll stop at Villanova at top 16. Why not? Um, so we're looking at their top 16 list right here. We have Gonzaga at 16-1 and one at number one seed. And then from there, it's, no one's as, even close to as good a record. We have Duke at two, Kansas three, Baylor four, Auburn at five. Auburn still, I think, is one of the few undefeated teams left in in, hmm. in college basketball. Uh, Butler, who's also in the Big East with Villanova, is 14-1. and one. Um, San Diego State, who's another undefeated team, they're 15-0. and 0. Uh, Michigan State moves up back up to the eight seed, which I'll get to them in a second. Um, Oregon at nine, Florida at ten, Ohio State at eleven, Maryland at twelve, Louisville at thirteen, Kentucky at thirteen, um, fourteen, Dayton at fifteen, and Villanova at sixteen. Um, Michigan is at nineteen, notably, and they're ten and four. Uh, you know, I only mentioned Michigan because at nineteen is because my game of the week, which I've been doing for a little while now is going to be Michigan University versus Michigan State University. Big rivalry there. Um, I forget what the seeds were going into this game, but I think they were like 14 and 12 or something like that. And Michigan State uh, won by a significant amount. I forget what the exact score was. I did watch the game. I just forgot the score. Um, but either way, it was a really good game. Um, I, know, I know that Michigan State came out on top. And I think it's interesting because Michigan State, who was – Easily touted as the number one team college basketball team going into the season, they fell really 
really lost, I think, five games now, is it? And let me see. Yeah, no, no, they've lost three games, rather. They're 12-3. and three. Um, they, You know, they lost three games early, and they fell really far out of the rankings. And they've kind of battled their way up, which I suggested they might do, you know, earlier in the year. You know, this team is resilient. They, they fell off early, but they, they're now won seven in a row. And they're coming hot again. Don't be surprised if they continue to win and then claim back their number one seed uh, back at the end, back at the top of the pole. Um, so really convincing win for Michigan State. And it was a good rivalry game. And Michigan falls again to Michigan State. Um, so that about wraps up college basketball for this week. I guess we can move into our controversial topic if you have no comments, Brian. Don't have any comments. So, All right. So controversial topic of the week is going to come based out of the Saints-Vikings uh, end of the game. It was 20-20 to in OT. Vikings get the ball first. They drive down the field. I want to say they're on the five-yard line. They decide to throw up a fade to Kyle Rudolph against, I forget who the corner was for the Saints. Um, during the fade, a little bit of hand fighting. It seems that Kyle Rudolph gets the last push off, and it's pretty good. I think he pretty much stiff arms the Saints cornerback at the end of the play. And they scored, and Kyle Rudolph then catches a touchdown. Game over. You know that's that's overtime rules. Um, and I think that kind of lost my train of thought here. Oh my god. <laughs> um, I think that it probably was a push off, and I do think it was offensive pass interference. You know, if you watch the replay, if you guys could watch it online, the Saints corner his head jerks back. Kyle Rudolph. Easily gets uh, separation, and I think it should have been called. You know, right after, right after the play was was over, Troy Aikman decided, or he he announced that they were not going to review that, and apparently they did review it. Hmm. Um, which was I thought was interesting. That does get me to question whether it was reviewed or, reviewed or not, and I'm hoping it was because if it wasn't, that that kind of upsets me. That play definitely should have been reviewed. It was pretty clear that a stiff arm was given to get separation. But apparently the head referee decided that it wasn't enough to constitute a penalty. Um, I'll get your opinion on it in, in the first one. But again, I do think it was a clear push-off. I think he gathered separation because of that push-off. And that is the reason that he scored that touchdown. And that would constitute pass, offensive pass interference. They should have reviewed it. And they should have called a penalty on it uh, on it as such. You know, the rule's in place now. Let's use it. Um yeah. In terms of the rule, you know, I just wanted to go over what the exact rule is based on what it is in the rule book. Um, so they have it listed in their rule book as it is. And here's I'm going to start my quote now. Uh, start quote. It is it, it is pass interference by either team when and any act by a player more than one yard beyond the line of scrimmage significantly hinders an eligible player's opportunity to catch the ball. Pass interference can only occur when a fight forward pass is thrown from behind the line of scrimmage, regardless whether the pass is legal or illegal. Um, this is defensive offensive pass interference rules apply from the time the ball is snapped until the ball is touched. Um, and it says like a bunch of articles and stuff. Um, so, you know, I guess in terms of that was more like that's pass interference in general. It, it doesn't it does obviously doesn't include. Um, Offensive appearance or da- defensive pass interference, but it clearly says like I, I'm assuming if you, if you were to take that in terms of offensive pass interference, it hinders the defensive player's ability to make a, a play on the ball, and I believe that stiff arm clearly did that. Um, Brian, I question. Don't they review like every uh, scoring play? 
they are supposed to they 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 review it for whether it was a touchdown or not, not specifically for if there was uh, pass interference or okay. not. Um, well, in that case, there's no reason for it not to be reviewed, um, specifically because the referees have like the right and is is it all the time or in like the last two minutes to review. Um, so when, when it's in the last few minutes, the coaches don't have the ability to throw a challenge yeah. flag. The refs decide when, when there's going to be yeah. a review. Okay. Which I guess the refs you didn't or are there, I don't think it's the refs. I think the booth reviews. So mm. whoever whoever's from the NFL, higher up in the NFL is watching over the game, they decide when the review should be enacted or not. Mm-hmm. And there's there's not – I would say that there definitely wasn't clarity at the time and it seems there's still some ambig- ambiguity right now whether it was reviewed or not. Uh, the officials say that it was reviewed, but then Troy Aikman said right after that it wasn't reviewed, so they trying to cover up. Yeah. Was it actually reviewed? You know, I also, I think, I want to say it was right after the announcer said, you can't take that away from them. Like, the, the Vikings scored the touchdown, like it was too good of a moment. Hmm. And when I hear that, I'm hearing, okay, the NFL doesn't want to review it because underdog stories sell, and that was a really cool ending to the game, so they don't want to review that. Hmm. They want to leave as is because that'll sell, uh, it'll get viewers, and that'll, that'll sell, right? So that, that's one of my problems, you know. You, so I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, Brian. Um, uh, what was I going to say? It, it's, it sucks. I mean, two years in a row, the Saints are pushed out of the playoffs because of these controversial endings. Um, even if it was, if it was, if it was right, if it was wrong, just like how I feel for Saints fans, like two years in a row, something like this happens that hurts so much, and. If I was a Saints fan, or if it happened to the Jets, I would be so mad. Um, it's just a really annoying situation. But I was watching the replay while you were talking, and there's I definitely see like a push off, and I just don't know. I guess this could be like based off how the NFL has done things, but like if I was looking in the NFL eyes, like I wouldn't take it away. But if I was looking in like how to actually call a game, I would take it away because it was obvious that there was some interference that kept the cornerback from actually interfering with getting the ball out of Kyle Rudolph's hands. So it's just another annoying situation for Saints fans. Mm-hmm. Um, just just going off, I did. I was looking through the, the through book a little bit more. Um, so they have articles in terms of what constitutes as offensive pass interference. Mm-hmm. Um, the number one article says that shoving or pushing counts. Any shoving or pushing of, an, of a defensive opponent counts, which I, that absolutely falls under. Yeah. I would say that if you watch the replay, that there was a push. There was a significant shove at the end, right? That would constitute as offensive pass interference, that stiff arm that he gets. Um, article two says that blocking more than one yard down, one yard down the field before the ball is touched. So if you're blocking somebody before the ball is caught by the receiver, that counts, which that wouldn't fall under there, obviously. And the last significant um, form of offensive pass interference would fall under the, the form of a pick, which is if you if you jump in front of the cornerback and that your entire – the only reason you did that was not to run a route, but to actually pick that, yeah. that cornerback. That is also constitutes as offensive pass interference. So in my opinion, you look at the rule book, you look at the replay, you have to at least review it. And I would absolutely say call it, but – but at the very minimum, review it. And I think it's unclear whether they reviewed it or not, but if they didn't, they definitely should have. Yeah. Um, I guess that's it for this week's podcast. Um, thanks for listening, but I'll give Nick an opportunity for his final words. 
Uh, sure, yeah. This is my last week at home, so next week when we do the podcast, I'll probably be back at school. Oh. Um, I just want to say uh, thank you for guys for listening. I hope you guys had some happy holidays. Um, I think we did it at we did it right before New Year, so yeah. we're in twenty twenty now. Some big stuff coming this year. Um, I'm I'm gonna have some good experiences to talk about over the next week. I'm gonna see if I can get Brian involved in some of those experiences. We'll see what happens. Um, I'll update you guys what when it happens or when it doesn't happen. Um, beyond that, I just wanna say thank you for listening. If you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, you can contact me on my Instagram at nick horvath. Um, on my email at nicholashorvath10 at yahoo dot com. Or you can contact me on my Twitter at uh, Nick Horvath sixty one. Um, I hope you guys keep um, you know investing into us, and we, we appreciate when you guys watch our stuff. And hope you guys enjoy it. Um, I just want to say, I'm sure Brian will probably check this out, but check out our interview with Jordan Spector. He's this really cool artist that I actually won some free paintings from, and I thought he was really cool because he was he was once an athlete, but now he's an artist, and he's kind of paved his way as an artist despite being once an athlete and suffering an injury. Um, so I think he's, he's got a really cool story. Go check out our interview with him and go check out some of his artwork. Really cool dude. He's been really good through the process in terms of, he actually sent me the paintings and apparently they got messed up in UPS. So he sent me another set, which is really nice of him. Um, which I believe they're at school now. He sent them to my school address and I haven't been there. So I'm hoping they're there when I get there. I did get, I did get an email that I got some, some shipment of something, which doesn't tell me what, Hmm. but I hadn't ordered anything. So I'm assuming it's those. Um, I guess, yeah, so just check that out, check out his artwork, and uh, thank you guys for listening, I'll hand it over to Brian. Yeah, um, I don't want to give too much away from the interview, because I want you to actually read it, but the biggest takeaway is that, um, I, I had asked him if, like, I don't want to give too much out, but I had asked him if, like, he, looking back, he wishes he never got injured, and I was kind of expecting, like, like, uh, an answer, like, yeah, I'm happy with where I am. And basically what he said is that he wishes he never did get injured, but he, his career path is something that he appreciates. And I think that whole story of never giving up was definitely evident with him. And that was nice to see. But other than that, um, I, I'm hoping to get a Saints video, no, a uh, Packers video up tonight. We'll see how quickly I can edit that. But um, other than that, thanks for listening. Um, if, if you have any comments, you can, I guess, DM us or contact Nick through his Instagram and Twitter. Um, check out our videos on YouTube. If you have any interest writing for us, editing videos, there's a new article coming out tonight, so you can read that. If you have any interest writing for us, editing videos, graphic design, any way you think you could help us, contact us at thesportuniverse2019 at gmail.com. And other than that, thanks for listening. Bye.